Good morning again. There's two more things I want to announce to you because I know we have people coming and going all the time and a couple of important things. One, Reunite is a marriage class that's starting tonight. Um, the yellow insert in the bulletin has the information about that. So would really encourage you guys, see a lot of guys back home. Welcome. It's good to see you all back that are back from deployment. would really encourage you to check this out. Or even if you haven't just come back from a deployment, just good principles as couples. For those of you that have been together for a while, just good principles on how to, how to grow together as a couple. That's tonight at 6.30. And then also nursery and children's ministry. We have a lot of transition over the summers. We really need new volunteers in there. It's a great place to plug in and get involved. So if you'd fill one of these out and let us know if you can help us, we would we would love it. We would really appreciate it. Um, if you want to open your Bibles to Proverbs, we're continuing this series in Proverbs called Grow Up. The idea of the series uh, is that growth, maturity, biblically, is uh, not something stodgy or stale uh, or old in that sense, but it's uh, weighty, and it's having significance, and it's having something to offer other people. Uh, We started in Psalm 1 before we dove into Proverbs, and in Psalm 1 it gives us this picture of the tree planted by streams of water. So if you want your life to have significance, and if you want there to be strength there, and that your life would have fruit to offer others and uh, leaves to offer shade and strength to offer to other people, then what the Bible says is that you need wisdom. You need maturity. You need to grow in God's wisdom and understanding who He is, what He says about our life, how He wants us to live. And so Proverbs is really the book that that centers on that the most. Of course, biblical wisdom is throughout the whole Bible. Um, We're going to look at Proverbs 29 today. So if you have a Bible, it's 2915. And if you don't have one, you want to grab the black Bibles in front of you, you could follow there if, you, if you'd like to. It's page 550 in the black Bibles, 550. We're calling the sermon this morning, What Children Need. So it's going to focus a lot on parenting, but we purposefully titled it What Children Need because some of us are not parents, right? Uh, but we're still a part of this. If you're a part of this community, then we need your help. Those of us that are parents, we desperately need all the help we can get, okay? So I want you to understand that. Amen. Thank you. I want you to understand that, that that's really the Christian view of parenting, the Jewish view of parenting, that the community is involved. And so we see you as uncles and aunts, brothers and sisters in our extended family. And we we need your help. And so we'd like you to listen as uh, we hear what God says kids need. What do kids need to grow up? What do kids need to have maturity? What we've done so far in the series is we've looked at the standalone chapters in Proverbs. Um, I looked at uh, Psalm 1, like I said, but also Proverbs chapter 1. Mike Harris, one of our elders, did a great job on Father's Day looking at Proverbs chapter 4. Stephen Watson, my assistant pastor, looked at Proverbs chapter 5. Last week I was in Proverbs chapter 3. We'll draw on that some more today, what we saw in Proverbs chapter 3. But we're going to jump around a little more today as well. If you know the book of Proverbs, there's tons of single Proverbs, right? One verse, two verses that stand alone. And so uh, for the rest of the summer, we'll, we'll look at more topical things where we pull the, all the verses that it has in Proverbs about this topic. And so we'll be looking at a lot of different uh, of the Proverbs that talk about kids today. Starting in Proverbs 29, it says in Proverbs 29:15, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. 
So this kind of keys off what we looked at last week. Last week we saw this idea that we need direction, right? Um, that there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. This proverb that is repeated in both Proverbs 14 and 16, it's repeated for us, so we better pay attention. We, we wander, right? People wander. We need God's direction. And there's always this parallel in the book of Proverbs that God needs to direct us and our parents direct us. As a matter of fact, I was in chapter 3 last week. A few weeks ago, Mike was in chapter 4. We actually see poetic parallels between chapter 3 and chapter 4. Between God directing us in 3 and fathers directing children in 4. And so, Proverbs always lines that up. That we need direction. God's plan for children is parents and big brothers and big sisters, uncles and aunts in the faith. That's, that's, how, that's God's primary way of mediating direction to children. It's, it's through us, through the community. And so, we need to understand what, what do these kids need? We can't just leave them without direction. They'll wonder, right? They'll fail. It says, a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Look at verse 16. It says, when the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will look upon their downfall. Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Again, Proverbs continues to pound this into us. There's blessing in being directed by God. And children specifically need direction even more than adults, right? Ideally, as adults, we've begun to internalize God's direction and begin to function on our own. But children need that, that uh, direction put into them. They need us to lead them and, and to direct them. They can't just wander on their own. Why don't we pray, and I'll ask God to uh, direct us from His Word this morning. God, we uh, thank You that You love us. Help us to understand what children need. Um, God, many of us are here this morning, and we're hurting because we didn't get what we needed as kids. Um, God, some of us may feel like, you know what, we got this all taken care of. Lord, teach us. Wherever we are, whether we think we got it figured out or whether we're uh, just feeling completely confused and lost, God, we ask for your help. We, we ask that you would teach us, that your word would guide us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd heard a story several years ago about a man that was uh, going through the grocery store with his, one of his kids. Um, it was a toddler. And uh, so, you know, that alone sets you up. He was in for some fun, right? He's got a toddler in the grocery cart in the little chair there, and he's going through the grocery store, and the toddler was not doing very well, I think like a two-year-old, and he's starting to kind of have a tantrum, right? He was screaming and having a fit, and he was just very unhappy, and he was starting to get so loud and, and so extreme that, you know, people from across the store, were kind of staring down the aisle and people were avoiding the aisle that they were going down because they just didn't want to be near the scene that was exploding here. And the whole time, uh, the man could be heard saying, Billy, it's going to be okay, Billy. Everything's going to be alright, Billy. Just calm down, Billy. It's, it's going to be alright, Billy. And as he made his way through the store, this dear older lady just wanted to encourage him and she came alongside to him and she said, you know, I just, I just really want to commend you on your patience with, with little Billy. You, you just, you're being so kind with him the way you're speaking to Billy. And the man said, well, ma'am, I'm Billy. <laughs> And if, if you're a parent, you've, you've probably been there, right? You're thinking, I'm, I'm going to lose it, right? I don't, I don't know what is happening here. I'm losing my mind. You're just trying to calm yourself down. If, if you're not a parent, you're just thinking, yeah, why don't they just shut that kid up? What's the problem? I don't, it's so simple, right? Um, 
But, but kids can be complicated. Kids can be difficult, and, and we need a lot of help. And so what I want to teach us this morning out of the Proverbs is kind of the central things, the, the tensions that the Bible tells us that the kids need. Because my theory is that a lot of times we, we kind of sit on one side of the boat or the other, and we don't recognize that the Bible says, yeah, kids need this and that. They don't need one or the other, but they need it all, right? And of course, we need God's help to be able to deliver it. But the first thing that I want us to look at is something you've heard me talk about before if you've been here very long, is that children need discipline and delight. That biblically, those things go together. We saw this last week. We talked about it being echoed in Hebrews 12, that the Lord disciplines those He loves. The discipline is a part of love. It's not something other than love. It's not like, well, you can either love your kid or train your kid, right? Pick your option. Which parent are you going to be? Are you going to be a parent that is nice? to his kids or are you going to be a parent that trains them and disciplines them? And we often think in these kind of false dichotomies, these false divisions, but the Bible says they both go together. The discipline is an outgrowth of loving your child. That that's something that you do if you love them. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 last week said, My son, don't despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of His reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom He loves. As a father, the son in whom He delights. Do you delight in your child? Do you love your child? Well, then you'll discipline them. And those two things go together. I wanted to show you a picture here. This is actually a cute little kid, right, eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Um, But that picture is actually a colorized picture from 1952 of Saddam Hussein. Yeah, can you believe it? He was so cute, wasn't he? I'm, I'm just kidding about the colorized part. It's not really Saddam Hussein. But I can guarantee you... I can guarantee you that Saddam Hussein was cute, alright? When Saddam Hussein was four years old, he was cute. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, he's a, he's a terror, he's evil and bad, no. And what I want us to understand is that, that when kids are little, sin is cute. Sin is really cute. How many of you are parents and one of you is trying to correct your child for freaking out and the other parent is just laughing their head off? Has that ever happened to you? And that happens to both of us, like back and forth. Like one time it's me and one time it's her and I'm just like, you know, I'm just just trying to remain calm. But they're so cute. You just want to laugh at them, right? You just want to pick them up and squeeze them sometimes. But God calls us to to train them, to discipline them, and to delight in them. We are to do both simultaneously. And I show you this picture of, of Saddam or fake Saddam just to get you to think about that idea that so many of us as parents we get it flipped around right we think oh they're cute I'll just love on them while they're little and then when they become a wild and rebellious teenager then I'll clamp down well, well if, we, if we train them more when they're little then it's easier to, to let go more when they get older now obviously it's not like this formula that is guaranteed and it works every time but that's generally what works better right if you flip it it's just not going to work as well and so we need to make sure we understand that when they're little when they're delightful and cute and lovely they, they need discipline too they need training it's your job as a parent to direct them like I said there are these parallels between God directing us in Proverbs 3 fathers directing children in Proverbs 4 Proverbs again and again sets that up and says parents that's your job to bring in that godly direction to your kids' lives. The 
this kind of balance of delight and discipline is talked about in the New Testament too. So I want to give you another verse from the New Testament. Uh, In Ephesians 6, it's echoed in Colossians 3. But in Ephesians 6, it talks about uh, children obey your parents. That's really important. And it says parents lead your kids. In Ephesians 6, 4, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You see how that says that provoking your kids to anger is actually different than bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Those are two different things. If you're like me sometimes, especially with the strong-willed children in your life, you kind of think, you know what, they just need to know who's boss. And uh, it doesn't matter if they're angry. And as a matter of fact, the more angry I can make them, the better, maybe, right? Because they need to be taught. And I've fallen into that trap. But, But the Scriptures say that, no, your job is not to make them angry. Your job is not to tick them off. Your job is to, in contrast to that, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, which is sweet and delightful. And it is, it's still direction, right? I'm not talking about this kind of like, woohoo, do whatever you want kind of parenting. I'm, there's direction there. But it should be delightful. It should be clear to your child that Hebrews 12 is true. That the Lord disciplines those He loves. Your child should be able to readily understand that. That should not be a confusing verse to your children. Some of us, I grew up without much discipline. That verse was confusing for me when I became a Christian and I started trying to learn what a man should be like and how to parent. That that was kind of hard for me to understand. Some of you have been abused, the other extreme. Some of us, no direction. Some of us, wrong and painful direction. And I would say, if if you're on either extreme, sometimes that can be confusing. And we swing to one end or the other. If, If you've been abused, you might think, I just want to be my kid's friend. If you weren't directed, you might just think, my kids need structure. But they need both. They need to know that you delight in them, and they need structure and direction and discipline. Proverbs 13.24, if you want to flip to that, uh, it says, let's see, it's on page 537 in the Black Bibles, Proverbs 13.24, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So there's this contrast that's set up here of if you withhold discipline, if you withhold the rod, that's actually hating your son. That's not delighting in your son. So again, if you've come from an abusive past, this doesn't even make sense. You're thinking that, that doesn't fit. So I want to I define the rod a little bit biblically. What does the rod mean? Um, I think we go to two extremes with the rod. We, we think either overly literally or overly symbolic. right? If you're overly symbolic, you, you would say, well... It's not really talking about spanking here. It's just symbolic and that's not really what it means. If you're overly literal, um, you would think in terms of what the rod means, this word in Hebrew, shavet, is actually the same word that would be used for a scepter that a king would carry, right? So you might think a giant iron bar, right? Scepter plated in gold. And you might think it's telling you to take a big metal bar and beat your children with it, right? But that, that's not what it's saying either. And, and so there's kind of two extremes you could go with interpreting this. It, it's this, this big word that means the scepter that a king would carry, uh, the gavel that a judge would swing, the, the crook that a shepherd would use to direct and guide his sheep and pull them back in when they're wandering, right? It could also mean a little switch that you might spank a little kid with that would hurt but not injure the child. And so the first thing to understand is that symbolic meaning of you've got the scepter. You have authority. Don't withhold that authority. Don't withhold that direction. You are king of your house. You need to lead your children. You need to direct them. 
Don't withhold that direction. Don't, don't buy into the modern concept that if you just let your kids run wild, they'll turn out good and happy, right? And we started there. Proverbs 29 says, no, they're going to bring shame to your family if you just kind of let them wander. You have to direct them. Recognize that you've been deputized. God has given you the scepter. He says, lead your kids. And then recognize that again and again, Proverbs also says that, that corporal physical punishment is a good thing. Now, I think it's best to think about this in terms of physical training. If you're an athlete or a musician, you would understand that sometimes strenuous, painful physical training pays off. And your coach or your teacher will give you things to do that are painful, hard, strenuous, not because they hate you, but because they love you. Because they're training you. And I believe that's really the, the biblical framework to look at spanking with or physical training of a child. It's not to injure the child, it's to direct the child. It's to train them physically. Um, there's a couple other verses I want to read. Um, Proverbs 22.15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs 23.13 says, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with the rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you'll save his soul from Sheol. Again, it's this concept that, that physically striking a child is not the end of the world, but also when you step back and read it in biblical uh, framework, you understand that you're not trying to injure the child. It, it's not talking about literally taking the big king's scepter and beating the child and injuring the child. So, so some boundaries so that you could distinguish between abuse and what we would just call spanking in our culture. Um, some boundaries for that is, first of all, it shouldn't be causing injury. If you're injuring the child, that's, that's wrong. That, that's not spanking. That's not biblical correction. Uh, if it's done in anger, that's a problem. That, then your child is associating with, with anger and, and revenge and there's something wrong with me rather than I love this child so I'm lovingly, calmly, coolly going to, to meet out some discipline to, to direct them and help train them. Just like the coach gives you wind sprints, the coach does that to train you, to make you stronger. The coach is not doing that because he hates you. And I know some of you might disagree with me on that. They've had that sadistic coach that really did hate you and was trying to kill you. But for most of us, we had this positive experience and the coach was trying to train us. He was trying to make us stronger. He's trying to help us to learn. And that's really what biblical discipline should be about. That should be the, the focus. It's not about you as a parent. If, if you're angry, cool off. Pray. Don't, don't ever spank a child in, in anger. Um, put boundaries around that. Pray with them. When, when we would discipline our children, we would help them to understand that it's not because we're angry about you. We would talk with them. This is, we just don't want your heart to get hard and you to think it's okay to keep doing this. You know? I, I'd rather my child's backside sting for just a little bit than get run over by a car. Now, you may disagree, and that's fine. You're welcome to your opinion, but, but I'd rather my, my child stay alive. I don't want them to get run over by a car. So that, that momentary sting on their bottom that doesn't leave a mark, that doesn't injure them, I, I think is worth it. And I think biblically, the Bible would back that up as well. A couple of great resources I would encourage you with on, on this topic. There's some old school stuff by a guy named Dr. James Dobson. Um, he's got a book called Dare to Discipline and one called The Strong-Willed Child. Probably none of you have strong-willed children, so you don't need that one. But um, the Dare to Discipline, it's a, that's a helpful one. 
there, there's a couple that I like. Actually, even better. Uh, Dobson's really good at giving just really practical advice. A lot of times people, uh, he, he speaks from a psychiatrist's background, a pediatrician's background, kind of a medical concept. He's very practical, but also representing the kind of traditional Christian view. Um, a newer book called Shepherding a Child's Heart, I feel like makes the connection, the heart connection a little better. So this book by Tripp, he does a better job. There's going to be a lot of good practical stuff in the Dobson books, and I would recommend it. But um, Tripp does a better job of connecting with the heart and helping you to understand the heart issues and understanding those issues of not making your kids angry and talking about our need for the gospel and kind of weaving that in. You know, one of the things we would tell our kids is that we we just want to, we don't want to change your heart through this. We're praying that God would change your heart. We're asking God to change your heart so that you would want to do the right thing. But we do know that, that through His thanking, we can help you not keep doing it, right? <laughs> we can stop it from happening. We, we can do that much, but we can't change your heart. And so we're praying that God would change your heart so you would want to do uh, what's right. Uh, another book that talks about that that's helpful also is Gospel-Centered Family, and, and this one's thinner, so some of you may prefer this one. I like this one a lot, um, but it's really helpful as well. And, and it's British, so they use wrong words for things sometimes. I just want to I just want to <laughs> warn you about that. These British people, they don't, they don't always get their English right sometimes, so um, just a warning. It's British. Like Particularly, they use the word smack instead of spank. So like in England, the word spank is an offensive word, but smack means what we would mean by... I think of smack as like, you know, that's not, that's not what we're recommending. Um, so anyway, just some little translation difficulties there. There's a professor at Calvin College named uh, Gunno that did research that showed that children that were spanked between the ages of 7 and 11 uh, did much better compared to other children in, in avoiding risky behavior. Um, what's interesting is children that were spanked on into the teen years actually did worse. And so I think you kind of see what I was talking about, about how when you discipline them when they're young, you give them high structure when they're young and then give them more freedom as they get older, um, tends to be what seems to cut with the grain of how our children are designed, training them when they're young and then allowing them more freedom and then allowing them to live out what is internalized when they were little. Um, the next thing that I think we need to understand is that children need boldness and caution. One of the biggest problems I see when I'm talking to parents about their kids is just this panic, right? Um, as, as parents, our, our children can smell the fear, right? You've heard that about dogs. Well, kids, kids can smell fear too. And so as parents, we want to engender a boldness to them, not just a, a fear and panic. And again, a lot of this comes out of our own childhood backgrounds. Man, if we were just left with no direction, we're fearful and we want to clamp down and give lots of direction to fix that. Or if we had uh, like an abusive domineering situation, we want to just be their best friend. And so we kind of swing one way or the other. And I would encourage you that in the gospel, we should have a security and a boldness while still realistically cautioning them. Right? There's real stuff that can trip you up. There's stuff out there that can kill you. But if all you ever talk about is, is one and not the other, then we're giving them an unbalanced understanding of how the world works, right? If it's all boldness and no caution, that's dangerous. And if it's all caution and no boldness, they're going to get out in the real world and say, man, my, my parents are freaks, right? And they're going to want to throw out everything that you've been teaching them. Uh, so we need to watch out for this kind of fear. Back in Proverbs 3 where we were last week, it said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your understanding. That's what we're memorizing, right? And all your ways 
acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths, right? So there's this, this confidence we can have that if I trust God, He's going to straighten things out for me. He's going to direct me. He's going to show me which way to go. And as Christians and as people who trust Him and follow Him, we know that He's good and He's gracious and that gives us a kind of inner confidence and security in His generosity. We talked about this before with the parable of the talents, right? Uh, the people that trusted the Master invested. They lived. They risked. The one that didn't trust the Master, the one who views God as being harsh and taking what doesn't belong to Him, those kind of people, we, we bury our talents. We say, I can't trust God. I can't trust this world. I'm going to bury my talents. I'm not going to do anything. But when we really see God as generous, we're going to invest. We're going to spend. We're going to take risks. We're going to do things with the talents that God has given us. That's the kind of sons and daughters that we want to raise. Proverbs 3.21 says it this way, My son, don't lose sight of these. Wisdom, discretion. There will be life for your soul and adornment around your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you won't be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Don't be afraid of sudden terror, of the ruin of the wicked. When it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. So do you see that? Do you see the the parent that is warning the child that there's going to be terror? There's going to be bad things are going to come. There's going to be cancer. There's going to be broken relationships. There's going to be death. That's the world that we live in. But if you trust in the Lord, you'll have a security as you you navigate through those things. You can walk through those things. It's, It's not a guarantee. Again, it's not the prosperity gospel that says you put your quarters in and God gives you the goodies, right? It's not mechanical. It's not guaranteed. But there's a general sense that if you trust God, you'll be okay. You're going to be secure. You might not be okay in this life. It might be the next. But you've got a security that will give you a boldness to walk through whatever comes in this life. Dale Earnhardt was a famous driver. and uh, That's not him. I have no idea who that is. But um, that, that is a NASCAR driver. And, and Dale Hart, Earnhardt was this famous driver that died in 2001. Any of you all familiar with NASCAR? Have you ever heard of this? People like driving around real fast in cars. Okay. Um, I'm not really into NASCAR, so I, but I thought this was a great illustration. What I, what I want you to think about is, is think about training your kids as training race car drivers. Because like I said, one of the biggest concerns I have for Christian parents is we're just so scared. We're so worried about our kids being hurt, right? And we want to just protect them, and we're so fearful. Well, what happened with Dale Earnhardt is when he died in 2001, he's actually famous for avoiding uh, precautionary measures. He was famous for not liking the safety engineers to come around his shop. He was famous for rejecting the better equipment, the better helmets, the better harnesses that they had at that time. But when he died, NASCAR kind of redid everything. And they put in better harnesses and better cars. And they started really focusing a lot of attention on safety. But they didn't stop the sport, right? They didn't quit driving the cars really fast and doing scary things. They just took more heed of the, of the safety precautions. They took more account of the cautions. And I want you to think that way about parenting. It's not one or the other, it's both. You want to train your kids to run hard, to go fast, to be bold, to do great things. But you also want to realistically warn them that here's this danger, here's that danger. Trust God and He'll help you navigate around this danger. He'll help you navigate around that danger. Trust Him. Your life is in His hands. And so teach them caution, but also teach them to be bold. 
I think one of the things that helps us to balance out our, our fearfulness that often bleeds into our kids is just giving them the full counsel of God's Word. Because, you know, as, as people, we're, we're all messed up, right? None of us were parented perfectly, and, and we don't have a balanced perspective, but the more we give them this, it can overcompensate for our own weird worldview, right? Because we're all twisted up, and we don't really see things straight, and so we can go together with our kids to the Word and say, you know what, Mommy and Daddy are a little goofy too, but let's go to God's Word and see what God's Word says. And the more we, we drench them in that, I think the better guidance we're giving them. We're giving them that full picture of a both beautifully gracious but also risky and dangerous God. This God that is absolute holy, absolutely holy, who, who hates sin, but this God who is also absolutely gracious, who loves us and, and saves us. A couple of resources I want to show to you. One is called the Big Picture Story Bible. Um, tries to weave together the whole story of the Bible with that big picture of God's redemption for us in Jesus. The Jesus Storybook Bible does the same thing. So just a couple of storybook Bibles that are really good. If, if you're new to the faith, even if you don't have kids, I'd recommend these. Okay, It gives you a good, a good picture, a good kind of overview of the whole Bible. These are really good. They've, they've helped me after seminary. These books helped me out a lot. So another one that I would recommend as well is my ABC Bible Verses by Susan Hunt. Um, this one, the, the actual Bible verses, are, I don't think are that significant. Our kids would kind of learn some of the verses, and there's you know one for each letter of the alphabet. Um, but what was really interesting is in each chapter, and with each verse, there's a little story. So it follows along the life of these little fictional characters, this little brother and sister, and it shows them failing and succeeding to obey what their parents have, have told them. It shows them uh, starting to fail and then remembering God's Word and kind of shows the Holy Spirit working in their life. So I feel like it gives kind of a realistic view to the kids of what faith can look like at a child's level. Um, so we found this to be really helpful with our own, with our own kids. The last thing I want us to look at is the idea of holiness and mission. This last tension that we have to balance out. Holiness and mission. Um, when you think about the family, what's the first picture that comes to your mind? First picture that comes to your mind. I thought um, if you're extroverted, we have more extroverts in the 10.30 service than the 9 o'clock service. Um, maybe this is family to you, right? Big outdoor party, people laughing, having fun. There's like 100 people at a giant table, right? You just want more people to come in. So that's kind of the extroverted view of family life. It's like the holidays and there's 50 people and you're just having fun, right? That's for some of you. Some of you that makes you uncomfortable though. And so probably this is more of your picture of the family. It's the castle, the fortress, right? My family is all about protecting, guarding us from the bad people out there. Um, we tend to have these different views of the family. Now I'm sure there's more nuanced, you know, there's probably a couple other views out there besides these two. Um, but I think again we have to balance these things biblically. Scripturally we are called to be holy and we are called to pursue people, to be on mission. When I talk about mission, what I mean is having this view like Jesus who was sent from heaven for the sake of others. He, he came to pursue us, to love us. We should be in that same way like Jesus. 
So as parents, we have to teach both things. It's not one or the other. We teach holiness and we teach mission to our kids. So again, we'll go back to Proverbs 3. Again, I I keep centering us back there where we were last week. It says in 3.27, Don't withhold good from those to whom it is due when it's in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. So it's this idea in Proverbs of saying, live according to God's Word, listen to His wisdom, don't follow the bad people, but then it also says, be generous. When you have the opportunity to give, give. Help people out. Don't just look inward, but look outward to those that are struggling. If you flip over to Proverbs 24, it's another one that gives some insight into this whole concept. 24, 10 through 12, it's on page 546. Proverbs 24.10 If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Again, we're training our kids to, to have something to offer to other people. Not to be afraid, not to be fearful. Verse 11 says, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will He not repay man according to His works? We have this idea, scripturally, that we should not withhold, that we should be generous. Again, it comes back to our worldview of who God is. Do you see God as generous, as gracious? Or do you see your judgment being uh, completely centered around how holy you have been? Or do you recognize, yeah, God wants me to be holy, but my holiness is a, a gifted holiness. It's a gift from God. It's something He's given me. Not because I've succeeded perfectly, but because He loves me through Jesus. And if you understand holiness in that light, that it's by God's grace that you would be holy at all, then that's going to cause you to then be generous to others. You can say, God's been generous to me. I want to be generous to others. Jesus left heaven and came to earth for me. I want to leave the confines of my castle and go to help others. To help those who are staggering towards death. In Proverbs, there's just this blending between uh, physically helping the poor and the needy, but also helping with the guidance of God's kingdom. And as Christians, we see that real clearly in the New Testament. Jesus says again and again that the kingdom is like a party. It should be like a banquet that we invite people to. Jesus says the kingdom is at hand. People are invited in. So it's like a treasure in the field, and we sell everything else to have that treasure because it's so valuable. And so for those of us that know Christ, we have the greatest treasure that there is. And Proverbs 24 is challenging us. Will we share that with other people? Will we offer that to others? And I know some of you are thinking that maybe I'm just talking about preaching, right? We, we think often we're, we're at a church and I'm, I'm preaching God's Word to you. Maybe, maybe Dave wants us all to go out and just preach on the street corners. I know for some of you that's not your gift, right? But what are your gifts? And are you using them to show people how beautiful Jesus is and show people how good the kingdom is? Take those gifts that God has already given you and pray. You've got to be careful. This is a scary prayer. Okay? You ready? Pray that He would show you how to use those gifts for His glory. And He will. It's risky. But He'll show you ways to be generous and to help others, to reach out to others, to have mission for others. And it's not going to violate your holiness. We, we see this throughout the Old Testament, that God's people were always to be on mission. Right? We see that God says, You are to be a light to the Gentiles. 
We see that in Genesis 12, He tells Abraham, you're going to be a blessing to all the nations. A lot of times when we hear these places in the law where it says not to intermarry with those of, of the other people group, we think of it as some kind of racial weirdness, but really he was talking about faith. He was saying, don't intermingle with their faith, but remain devoted to me. And then they were always to invite others to come into that faith, to adore the God of the universe. We should have that same balance. Yes, we should remain devoted and be holy, but we should be reaching out to love others and invite others into the grace we know in Jesus. I just want to talk real, real quickly about um, different ways that we educate our kids. I just want to give you some practical advice on this. Um, I've, I think I have some um, credibility here because we've actually done every style of education that's possible um, in our family. My kids are, are 15, almost 14, almost 11. And for those of you that thought I was 19, you're like, "Wow, how'd that work?" Um, so we've got, you know, we've got kids in high school, junior high, and we've done public school, we've done private school, we've done uh, homeschooling, we've tried all these things. One of the things we recently started a new school, and one of the things I advise parents is just be careful about methodology, right? Avoid methodology. Avoid this, this thinking that if I choose the right method, that'll fix everything for my kids. If I pick the right system, then I'll be in the center of God's will and everything will just flow, right? What I want you to really understand is that God has deputized you to lead your parents, to lead your children. God has deputized you as parents to lead your children, okay? That, that's your job. And the system isn't going to do it for you. And what we've recognized is we've done public school and private school and homeschool and this new school we're involved in, all these different things. It, it always comes back to us. It, it's our job. We have to lead them. And so you just need to recognize that there are different weaknesses and strengths in, in every system out there. And it's your job as parents to overcompensate for those weaknesses that are inherent in every system. Right? I mean, public school, uh, I would say public school, the great weakness is that it is a godless system. So you're going to have to figure out a way to overcompensate for that, to, to work around that. You're going to have to figure out a way to train your kids to know God and believe God when eight hours a day, six hours a day, they're being told that He's irrelevant to their life. You're going to have to figure out a way to, to, to move around that and overcompensate for that. Uh, if your kids are in private school, you're going to have to figure out a way to overcompensate for institutional Phariseeism. Okay? It's a big word. Pharisees were the religious leaders, right? There's this kind of thing that happens in private institutions. They're, they're just not very good for communicating God's generosity and His grace. Institutions just don't do that very well. And so there can be this hypocrisy that sets in into private schools. It's very dangerous. And you have to figure out a way to work around that. You have to know your kids' teachers. You have to know their friends. And you have to be personally involved in their life. Homeschooling, it's this beautiful way of, of being really involved personally. But the danger of that is, is the inbreeding that can take place. right? And I don't mean inbreeding in the weird way. But what I mean is passing on all of your sin and, and kind of secluding them from other influences. You have to, you have to be careful about that. There's something beautiful about being intimately and personally involved, but they're also going to get full force your issues, okay? And so we, no matter what system you pick when you educate your kids, you have to take all these things into consideration. And you have to recognize that it's on you. That it's on your back. God's called you to do it. Not the teachers, not the system, not the silver bullet. So, you know, you read in a book, this is the best way to raise kids, I'm going to do this, and everything's going to work out right. No, it's, it's on you. 
You have to pray and sweat and cry and work with those kids every day. It, it, is, it is your job. And so that brings me to our conclusion. What, what do children need? What do children need? Children need Jesus, right? Good Sunday school answer. Children need Jesus. I heard the story before about in Sunday school, there's this kid that um, his Sunday school teacher was talking about something, an animal that lives in trees and gathers nuts, and she was asking the kids if she knew, if they knew what it was. And the kid said, well, that, that sounds like a squirrel, but I know the answer has to be Jesus, right? Um, well, for this, the answer actually is Jesus. It really is Jesus. That's what our children need. There's this beautiful proverb, Proverbs 28.13. This will be our last proverb. We're going to end here. Page 549, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. That's what our kids need. My kids were here in the first service and they they hear me talking about what we should do to parent our kids, what kids need, and they know that me and my wife have failed to to do all those things well. But they have also heard us say that with our own lips. It's not just a secret. It's not this family secret that they have to pretend that everything's okay and mommy and daddy act like they're good parents because we lead this church and we act like we've got it all together. No, they know. They've heard it from our own lips. I'm sorry. I have failed you. We, we have cried and we have apologized to them because of the many times that we have failed because we're trying to live out Proverbs 28.13. Trying not to conceal our sin and pretend that everything is okay, but to admit, to be authentic and say, we've, we've messed up and I'm sorry. And together we're, we're pointing them to Jesus. Not to us as the absolute authority, but, but to Jesus. We're saying, yeah, you've got to obey mommy and daddy, but, but we're sorry. We, we messed up. We've, we've failed you. Will you forgive us? So I think that's the most important thing that we as parents and we as a wider community can give the next generation is being real about that. Not concealing our sin, but confessing it and asking God for His mercy. Let me pray for us. God, we thank You for Your mercy. We come to You in faith that You are a gracious God. That we fail to do everything as we should, but you love us and you pursue us. God, help us to pursue the next generation. Help us as a community, whether parents or not, help us to pursue the kids in this community and to show them your love and your grace. We pray that you would do that through us in a supernatural way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.